0: The kill and Warner wins the set. Fade away, by Boers. In play with Craig Matic, made possible by the exclusive support of Lake Area Technical College. It is you. Welcome to another edition of In Play. I'm Craig Matic. It's the 50th anniversary of Title IX. The landmark legislation passed in 1972. you know, Title IX was to open the doors for girls and women, not only in sports, but also in academic majors and teaching positions, uh, other programs and individual classes. But today, when we say Title IX, we think primarily of female sports. And today's guest on InPlay played a major role in South Dakota to ensure that female sports prospered. She grew up near Lyons, South Dakota. It's now part of the Tri-Valley School District just northwest of Sioux Falls. Graduated from South Dakota State University. Taught and coached in Minnesota for about eight years before coming to South Dakota to become an assistant executive director for the South Dakota High School Activities Association, which she did for 34 years. Instrumental in overseeing the girls' sports programs in the state, Joining us today from her home in Greeley, Colorado, is Ruth Rain. Ruth, thank you. Thank you for for joining us today, and I hope all is well with you.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm doing well. I love retirement. I get to travel, although COVID has kind of ramped that down a little bit. (laughs) And uh, uh, love to golf, live in a golf course, so uh, all is good.
0: During the 1960s, you know, the only option for girls in athletics was really just cheerleading. Of course, that would all change in 1972 when Congress passed Title IX. Now, in 1972, I think you were teaching and coaching yet in Minnesota. Were you doing it back in
1: 72? Yes. Um, I I graduated from uh, South Dakota State in 1966. I was at that time, a physical education major. And at that point, we didn't really have classes in coaching, but I loved activities. So I decided uh, that Minnesota, they were a little more progressive than South Dakota and salaries were much better than in South Dakota. So my first uh, position in teaching was in St. James. Uh, I was there for three years. Uh, did more that was more intramural at that point. And so, did that. And then I uh, moved on to Austin, Minnesota, which, uh, as many people would say, is spam country, because <laughs> that's the home of hormones. Uh, and just a little side bit, first appreciation luncheon for teachers, um, our table favors were cans of Dinty Moore stew and uh, spam. <laughs> so <laughs> that's because Hormaloy sponsored the, the back uh, teachers back to school with a, with a luncheon. And I always chuckle at that. <laughs> uh, anyway, in Austin, now um, Title IX now is just coming to the forefront. And so Austin, they wanted to get uh, some activities going. The first thing that we tried was track and field. It was in the spring of the year, so um, we had a sign-up for track and field. A hundred and ten girls came out. And it was like, whoa, I went to the athletic director and I said, I need help. <laughs> <laughs> I need help. So they found uh, a couple other uh, female teachers that had some background themselves and uh, participation. So anyway, I guess our first task was, okay, we got to weed out some of these gals because most of them, mm-hmm. uh, and bless their hearts, they just wanted to do something. So uh, we got the track team down to probably a varsity level and a <laughs> JV level and, and uh, uh, the second year, Uh, Took him to the state track meet, didn't do that well. Third year, took him to the state track meet, and we got a a second-place trophy. So that was uh, pretty satisfying. Then um, also started uh, gymnastics, which I had no background. Talk about going to every clinic in the summertime that I could. (laughs) Uh Uh (laughs) When I was in uh, South Dakota State, and took uh, a class in the fundamentals of gymnastics. I remember we had to uh, vault over uh, the horse, and uh, the springboards weren't like they are today, so I remember going over and breaking my toe because I couldn't clear it <laughs> so, so, but anyway, had a very successful gymnastics team um, in three years and won our conference title all the time. They did not have a state tournament. So did some basketball at the junior high level and started the high school volleyball program. And, uh, and then at that time, uh, the athletic director said, you know, I'm not sure it's good to, for you to be coaching three sports. So uh, I handed down the, the volleyball, kept gymnastics and track since I had been doing that longer. And um, so that worked out pretty well. But interesting enough, the girls track team and the boys track team at that time could not practice together. So the boys, of course, got the track first. And then the parochial high school, uh, Pacelli in Austin, we got to practice with them. And of course, they had started earlier. And so their track team was pretty good. And I don't know why, my athletic director said, whatever you do, don't race against the Pacelli team. Because I guess there'd been some history of uh, the two schools not getting along. Well, when I thought I had my track team at the point where I thought, oh, I'm just going to go over to the Pacelli coach and say, let's uh, run our relays against each other. He thought that was a pretty good idea. (laughs)
0: So, everything worked out well. Anyway,
1: <laughs> it, it, we beat them, and but next day at school in the morning, the athletic director was, I don't know, he must have heard about it. He was at my door giving me a tongue lashing and saying, That will not happen again. Mm. <laughs> oh. So, anyway, but. Uh,
0: but it was shortly, was it shortly after that, then the position opened up? in-peer with the Activities Association. Uh,
1: what, what? Well, what, and this is kind of interesting. Um, because I was young and feisty in Austin, uh, and I thought the girls weren't being treated very well in athletics. We used the same warm-ups in track, basketball, volleyball. They just, you know, and the boys had warm-ups. For. And in fact, our gymnastics team had to wear the basketball uniform oh. at first until we got uniformed. So anyway, I uh, was interviewed for uh, the paper, and I think I maybe stepped out of line about fairness, equity, uh, Title IX, and uh, decided that I think I've kind of used my welcome here, so I'm going to uh, go back and get my master's. So when I was at SDSU getting my master's, uh, and it was in the spring of the year. Claire Lavison came, who was the executive director uh, or the assistant director at the activities office. He came to our class and talked about the activities association, and then said that they had a new position open for girls athletics. And I thought, aha! Uh-huh, I think mm-hmm. that's for you. That's a good challenge. So that's where I ended up
0: what kind of buildup was there in the debate in Congress on passing Title IX uh, was there a lot of discussion about it you know you know back in the early 70s uh, you know the ratio of girls participating in sports compared to the boys was what one to twelve I mean it was a huge disparity but was there was there a lot of debate and buildup here uh, that we could watch from South Dakota on what was going on with that Title IX vote
1: well uh you know i think so um uh, you know athletics was not originally in the law but when it was added it soon became the most visible visible part of it and um you know and at that time um adding sports anywhere uh meant money meant you know space meant there were so many negatives and and at that time you know, it's easier to stay the same and not change as it is to be progressive and try to do something. So coming to the activities office, it was not, um, you know, you had a short honeymoon period where, you know, everything is is fine. But when you really wanted to get down uh, to get anything done, it sometimes was very, very difficult. Uh, one of the things, you know, South Dakota in their constitution had a article that said that no girls basketball could be uh, had in the state of South Dakota.
0: No state tournament. There couldn't, right? No state no tournament, state
1: tournament right. uh, and all of that. So one of the things that happened in the legislature, you've probably heard the name Loila Hunking when she was in the state legislature and she and some others, had said that if the Activities Association doesn't get rid of that clause, that the Activities Association may might become part of the uh, state government and not as a uh, private nonprofit as it was. So the Activities Association, as I understand, they knew they had to, A, get rid of that basketball clause, and, B, they knew they had to hire somebody. So I probably as I was told later by a couple of board members, uh, I might not have been the best choice, but I was the only choice they had for females. Uh, I had a little background coming from Minnesota and right. there was any you know men that applied, of course had more experience. Uh, so uh, that's kind of how I landed there. And as we indicated, uh, it was not all roses. To say the least,
0: what was Title IX trying to accomplish?
1: Well, in 1971, I believe, when they did some statistics uh, for high school sports, there was a dozen boys participating to every one girl, and nationally, there was a problem of this participation. Mm -hmm. Girls did not have the opportunity to participate because the contest were not there. Of course, there were some states, we know Iowa, since it was so close to South Dakota, they never stopped playing girls' basketball. Um, They continued all the time. And states, uh, Oklahoma, I think, played basketball all the time. But for the most part, and part of it was there was a feeling and the AAU was one of them and a lot of college women that thought if girls participated in too many strenuous sports. It just wasn't good for a female I to do that. that. Yeah, so there were that. so many factions that were hindering the progress of girls sports and Title language was just kind of like the, the pin that broke this bubble. It was like, okay, now we got to get something done. So it's
0: 1974 title nine has uh, been around for a couple of years Girls' sports in South Dakota in 1974 was golf, tennis, and track. And then basketball came in 75.
1: Yeah. I wasn't officially on the payroll, so to speak. Uh, I started in July of 74. But the board of directors meeting that was earlier in the spring, they were going to determine – the season and adopt that girls basketball determine the season and I remember saying to them because they were talking fall girls basketball I said you know down the road you know you're going to have to change (laughs) so I really recommend Mm -hmm. that you just put the seasons where they traditionally should go and coming from Minnesota that they had started in the fall but they quickly realized that that wasn't the right way to do it so they changed right away, but it took South Dakota almost it Took us a few extra years. It was get... what, 2000?
0: Was it 2000? It was, uh, the, the
1: uh, fall... 2002. 2002, was and the the, year... we, we
0: switched that. Uh, yeah. Michigan and South Dakota were the last states to, uh, to move girls' basketball to uh, the winter.
1: Right. North Dakota followed suit with us right after we did because they knew they would have a, a, some litigation, and then Michigan was the last holdout, and the same thing. They knew they would never win um, if uh, uh, if they were taken to court. But the
0: legislature had to get involved and basically threaten the Activities Association to strip the law prohibiting state basketball tournaments for girls in South Dakota.
1: Yes. So as I understand it, because it was before I got there, they quickly had an annual meeting and uh, all the schools, you know, voted to get rid of this constitutional uh, no-girls no girls basketball tournament. So I think they could play girls basketball, but they could only just do it intramurally. That's crazy. They couldn't have a tournament. That was crazy. Couldn't.
0: So at the time now, you're also working, you know, you're working to add basketball. You're working to add cross country. You're trying to get volleyball sanctioned. Tell me about some of these obstacles that you had to face. Volleyball got sanctioned in 82. We're talking, you know, 7 years later volleyball got sanctioned after basketball, but what were some of the obstacles that you faced in some of these sports? You
1: know, because basketball was a sport played by boys and men understood it. Things actually probably went pretty good in basketball. There wasn't near the the hassles, the headaches, volleyball, that was probably the most difficult sport. And I tell you, at that point, I remember trying to get some volleyball started and going. And um, Dave Evans at that time was the executive director, and he let me do rules meetings. I remember I was in Aberdeen for a rules meeting and, and because it wasn't sanctioned yet by activities office, uh, nobody came, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but anyway, and fortunately, I mean, there was volleyball being played prior to the, they sanctioning it. The first unofficial state volleyball tournament was played in Parker. And that was in, uh, I think 90 or 81. Terry List was a volleyball coach at Parker, and uh, Ron Nelson at that time, I think he was the president of the Parker JCs. So they had like an unofficial state volleyball tournament. So schools were playing, it just there probably wasn't as many. I remember there was a gal by the name of Barb Cookhouse from Bennett County. She started a volleyball team in Bennett County in 78 and coached there, I think to 82. Anyway, I think in her coaching career, I think she only lost one volleyball match. Um, Schools closer to Nebraska, I think picked it up because they could at that point go to Nebraska and play volleyball. Then the board decided that until 51% of the schools had volleyball, they wouldn't sanction a state tournament. Well, there was no sport at that point that had those restrictions. We didn't have 51% of the schools in golf, in tennis, in gymnastics. They were all at a state tournament. So um, then they decided that, you know, that probably wasn't the, <laughs> the route to go. Um, but it was really interesting. Um, I remember we had a board member, Rosie Dorn from Lennox, he was on the board of directors and I think he was going to go, maybe it was his last term. He said, I think we've got the votes on the board to adopt volleyball, but if we don't do it now, it may not happen. Well, hmm. we ended up with a 4-3 vote. And I remember at that time, uh, the next day, somebody wanted to put it back on the table so uh, it wouldn't go through. Unfortunately, um, no one did. But at that time, and then we had another uh, one of our first female board members, uh, L. from Britain, Jackie Jarrett. She was very positive and helpful in in girls' sports. But then, of course, we got volleyball started. It was in the winter and it was like all teams had to practice at the same time in the same gym and uh, they kept saying we don't have any money to build any more gyms and the boys always had the prime time and and at this point in time there were some athletic directors that really knew that girls needed an equal opportunity and uh, you know really tried to do the right thing and so and it was because of uh, some of the positive athletic directors, uh, such as Jim Hoberta and Brookings, that uh, really, really pushed for for volleyball. He was one of the first uh, athletic directors that even formed a conference for, for volleyball. Uh, and of course, Bob Winter has been so supportive, but uh, I think at that time he was still you know, coaching basketball, but Inington, when we yep. talk about basketball, Bob was uh, a, a wonderful uh, support and help. But anyway, after, when we're going through volleyball, you got all of these negative things. you got schools that are trying to get started, but their gym time is almost non-existent, or they're practicing after the boys, they're practicing in the mornings. And, uh, you know, I, I would just tell schools, you know, let's say you have a hundred dollar bill, and you got to buy coats for you got a one son and one daughter, and you're not going to spend a hundred dollars on the boy's winter coat and let the girl freeze. You're going to buy a fifty dollar coat for both of them, you know. And uh, but anyway, slowly and surely things came around, and nothing really popped, so to speak, until we finally got the season changed.
0: That took a lawsuit to yep, change. That,
1: yep. It took a lawsuit, and uh, a lot of people were in duress. But one of the things about that season switch, volleyball was at that time, state tournament was double elimination, and uh, (laughs) it was side-out scoring. You never knew if you were going to have an hour match or a three-hour match. And so I was a big advocate of rally scoring because the colleges were starting to do it, but the high schools hadn't. So I uh, probably South Dakota had the biggest experiment data collection in the country on the use of rally scoring. So uh, we were using rally scoring before anyone, and then the National Federation adopted it. So the use of rally scoring after the switch of seasons, and then we went to three out of five, and eliminated uh, the double elimination tournament. And we really started to get things rolling in volleyball. And I have to hand it to the volleyball coaches at that time. They were real pioneers and and fighters, even from the beginning. And they had a real good volleyball coaches association, which I think they still do. And it was because of them that, uh, you know, they never gave up never quit and and we finally got some things going and and names like, you know, Galen Bush and Kathy Hunt, Donna Schmidt, Pam Johnson, Murrah, all of these people just you know, just kept on going and and uh, working on it and
0: South we, Dakota was first for rally scoring and the libero that the, the defensive position. Yeah.
1: Well uh, Libero was a that was an, another experiment that that worked out, and there was more states at that time that were all experimenting. But um, I, rem- back to the rally scoring, I remember one of the volleyball coaches that said before we were doing it, that's like being able to score at both <laughs> baskets in a basketball game. <laughs> it then, certainly
0: has improved the game, no doubt, no doubt. We, yes, we we think about yeah, back prior to rally scoring is how did we ever do these matches before?
1: I I know and. The other thing, I wanted some television coverage, and you can't do television coverage when you have no clue. Uh, I mean, some matches now still last a long time, but at least you don't have a three-, four-hour difference that you could on side-out scoring. So uh, that helps as well.
0: There was one other issue that you brought forward too, and it was girls' basketball and using the smaller basketball for girls. What led you to propose that?
1: Well, um, Ron Ryhart, Jim Huerta, Bob Winter, and especially, uh, Jim Huerta and Ron Ryhart. Ron then had gone to Rapid City Stevens and he had experimented with it for a while. So, um, and the stats were just really, I mean, it was like a no brainer. This is what, for all the girls in any activity, there's, there's going to be those outstanding gals that, you know, it doesn't make any difference what size basketball they're going to be good. But for your typical high school athlete, handling a smaller basketball, you know, it'll cut down on the turnovers. And so we did, again, a massive experiment throughout the state. We got back because um, we had fall basketball. I got the first shipment of Pachakara basketballs from Japan just in time for all of our schools to have them because they weren't readily available uh, like they are now. So we did that. One of the other things that we did in basketball, that uh, uh, we were the first state that experimented with the alternating. Uh,
0: possession. <laughs> instead of a jump ball on in every instead tie-up. Instead of was, a
1: jump ball, yeah. yeah it was alternating um, possession,
0: with, which is great.
1: And so we did that right off the bat. You know, I sometimes say, we were so far behind, we got ahead <laughs> of, of things. So we were the first to experiment with the smaller ball. We were actually, and this is one of the things that, that we did for, for one season. It was in 1982, I think. And, uh, Bob Rinner helped us get this going. We experimented with the 30-second shot clock. And uh, only the schools that wanted to could try it. And I don't know, we probably had 15 schools that did it, if they could play at a college court. Anyway, so we did that in basketball, and that was short-lived. But we were also one of the first ones to go with a three-point shot. So we were pretty progressive in, in what we were doing. And again, those coaches in those early years, like Fred Tibbetts and Ron Flynn and Bob Winner and Jim Hoberta, they all just really embraced. Uh, the sport, and uh, we're really willing to, to make a difference in what we were doing.
0: So you've added basketball and volleyball. You've added cross country. Uh, you also added cheer and dance uh, during your career. Were there times, though, Ruth, that you thought that there were going to be issues in the state that might never get passed, uh, issues may not even get done because of trying to get Title IX going?
1: You know, um, sometimes it was just frustrating. And sometimes when you, you know, work through some of those frustrations, and I always had faith that eventually, you know, people are going to see it correctly. I remember when um, we added basketball to the fall, and all of a sudden in cross country was in the fall, tennis was in the fall, golf, everything was in the fall for the girls. And it was like, we have to move something to the spring. And uh, at that time, we were talking about moving golf to the spring, even though it's the fall is the time. But I, I remember at this meeting, one of the athletic directors got up and said, well, I don't think we should move golf because what will happen? The boys won't be able to see the golf balls because of all of the leaves <laughs> in the fall on the golf course. And I said, oh. well, the girls have been looking at the same leaves all the time. And actually fall is a great time for golf, but, um, you know, you just had all of these little things sometimes that would come up and you think, you know, are you people really not thinking, but, and as I said, eventually, you know, most people would come around and, and they would see it. And
0: Did you so feel like you were all by yourself? At times,
1: yes, you know, and sometimes when you get that feeling, you think, You know, what am I doing this for? and then you think, You know, if I'm not doing this, who will? because I never had the opportunity to do anything, and so I was hoping that maybe I could make a little difference and keep on fighting, and it actually. You know, it did work out in the end, but it's like in anything, the journey sometimes takes a long time, and there's always the ups and downs, and and there are successes, but you just have to keep on going.
0: You retired Um, in 2008 from the Activities Association after 34 years. Uh, What was the reasoning for stepping down?
1: Well, you know, I always thought when you think about retirement, you think about some of the people that someone would say geez I wonder why they don't retire so I thought you know (laughs) I am going to leave before I hear or think anybody is saying why in the world isn't she retiring um so I wanted to leave you know when I at least thought I was still doing um a good job I was still having fun and uh you know as in everything it's it's time to hand off the time to, to somebody else so uh so I decided to retire and, and uh, you know, move on to, to something else. And uh, I would work all the time because not being married, not having a family, I spent, um, you know, 100% of my time focused on on what I was doing. And so so many people thought that once I would retire, you know, I would just, you know, Twiddle my thumbs and go, what in the world should I do? But I can guarantee you that hasn't happened.
0: Well, six years <laughs> after you retired, you uh, made a decision to get into politics. You ran for the state senate. Where did you that know, decision come from?
1: Well, I have never been a real political person. I've always had, you know, my opinions. And um, I had gone to our uh, local Hughes County uh, Democratic meetings and uh, uh, and as you know, Hughes County in that area here is uh, very Republican. And the Democrats always found it very difficult to uh, find a candidate. And at that time, I was like, well, I always wanted a challenge. And I had been retired just long enough that it was like, you know, I think
0: <laughs> Give it a shot. Give it a uh, shot. A, right.
1: Another challenge. Well, this one came along. I think it was a little bigger <laughs> than I was anticipating. Um, but anyway, running for the state legislature, I thought was a real pr- privilege, and I gave it a hundred percent with that too. Obviously, I, I didn't win, but it was a great experience and. Uh, I think I'm done now with my political aspirations, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would advise anyone, you know, if they have a mindset at all to do something like that, to certainly try it. Cause I, I think people need to get involved in uh, local government, state government, whatever.
0: You know, Ruth, you're in the State Hall of Fame for volleyball, the State Hall of Fame for gymnastics. You're in the State Tennis Hall of Fame, South Dakota Sports Hall of Fame. So many awards have come your way, Ruth, because of you being a pioneer in, uh, in girls' sports in South Dakota. If you had to do it all over again, and I know you would, would there be anything that you would have changed in the fight to get equal access to girls' athletics in South Dakota?
1: You know, um, I would certainly do it again. Um, I really had to scramble at first because I I didn't have a background. Um, I came as a physical education teacher and health teacher, and I had done some work for the Minnesota High School League, so I had a concept, but I hadn't been a principal or, you know, anything. So, And you can't change that. But I think if I would have had a little more experience, um, those first years might have been a little easier, but who knows? And that's with so many jobs. But it was a situation where I developed what I wanted. I didn't follow anybody else. I made uh, a lot of decisions. And so, you know, um, I think when I look back, and when you look back, the frustrations kind of go by the wayside because of all of the wonderful people that, you know, you meet and help you and that type of thing. So. There might be little things along the way, but as far as the big picture, no. It was all good. And you mentioned awards. I have been so fortunate to receive the awards that I have. In fact, one of them, too, that is special, I mentioned starting the programs in Austin, Minnesota, and I got inducted into their Athletic Hall of Fame uh, a few years ago. So that has been really a, a nice honor as well.
0: I need to know where that bamboo fishing pole that you uh, put between two trees back on your farm and you grew up to high jump, because you couldn't do it in a high school track meet. Where is that bamboo fishing pole?
1: Well, I it's long by the wayside, but you know my my dad used to take us down to Skunk Creek, and we'd only have bamboo fishing poles, and you know we in the spring of the year try to catch those bullheads or whatever and uh, but anyway so we always had some bamboo poles around I would be in school and after school I'd watch the boys in track practice and that type of thing and so I would go home and I would think Golly, I should try to do something like that well so I just took grab one of those bamboo poles because I thought well if I fell on it, it I probably won't get we'll hurt, get hurt. <laughs> No, so I, I take a couple of nails and find two trees that are close enough together and, or several nails. And so if I, I put this bamboo pole across and that was my high jump. and then I underneath there, I would I dug a hole and I would put grass or leaves and anything I could find. So I could land in it for high jump. And then when I took the pole away, I could use that for my long jump. So I would land in that, and my for long jumping. Oh. And then Dad finally put up a basketball hoop on the garage, so he bought me a basketball so I could shoot some shots. But again, no opportunity. <laughs> that was my my little uh, getaway.
0: Where is Title Nine going in the future?
1: Well, obviously, it's still there. I think they're looking more at the discrimination angle of it. I think in 2020, don't quote me on that year, but I think they have a little new interpretations on discrimination in athletics. So um, it's still there. Um, Schools are still supposed to be monitoring it Uh, probably. And I don't know what the situation is now. You know, they're used to schools used to have to have a, uh, title IX uh, monitored, so to speak, mm-hmm. and I don't know if they still do or not, but, or if it all falls in the athletic director's uh, position, but that um, is one thing that I know that, that schools are, are looking at.
0: Well, and several states now are uh, signing bills into law banning transgender girls and college-age women from playing in school sport leagues that match their gender identity. I mean that's another issue that is coming up, and you know not everything is perfect today, Ruth. But there is still more work to be done and more issues to
1: tackle. You know, and that's true. And you know the the whole play now, uh, sports participation. Um, first of all, I mean there's a you know girls um, aren't as eager some of them to be participating, and also there's such specialization. Um, you know, you're going to camp, you're, you're ending up to be a one-sport athlete. And I think the whole, the whole aspect of high school sports, you know, is changing and evolving. And it's a lot different than back in the uh, 70s, 80s, even the 90s. Um, and so, and I think when I retired, I definitely started to, to see that as well.
0: Ruth, uh, Nate Weck and I from South Dakota Public Broadcasting, we've been talking to other coaches and officials regarding this 50th year of Title IX. And there have been so many in our conversations that bring your name up as being so instrumental of guiding, being an advocate of girls' sports in South Dakota. You know, On behalf of them and everybody in South Dakota who have seen what you have done, thank you, Ruth. Well done. Well Well done.
1: (laughs) Thank you. And, you know, as you go along the trail, you have no idea what the impact uh, is going to be. I, as I said earlier, it was always thinking about what I can do to help the young uh, women. And also, I mean, you can't forget the boys' side. They have to be treated well, too. So, And then the many people that you meet, I could not have done it without all of the advocates that that were helping me, because without all of the the people believing in the same vision, uh, that's what really makes the difference.
0: In Play with Craig Matic, made possible by the exclusive support of Lake Area Technical College. It is you. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us gain new listeners. This has been In Play with me, Craig Matic. This is a production of South Dakota Public Broadcasting.